turn with us, we'll be in the book of Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2, certainly desire your prayers, the Lord would help us in uh, this time and this hour together, realize that I can't do anything without Him and I certainly don't want to try, but I was praying and to be honest with you, I'd been kind of empty for the majority of the week, preached Monday night and appreciate your prayers for that service, thought it went pretty well and had liberty to preach, appreciate the help of the Lord in that time and been praying and then today the Lord brought this scripture to my heart and I'm going to read the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter 2 and I know and understand that there's absolutely no way to preach everything that's in this chapter. It's a very meaty chapter, a weighty chapter, but I want to read it just to kind of set the tone or to, to bring the context for what the Lord has put on our heart tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, of course the Apostle Paul here is writing the church at Ephesus, he said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, 
so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I don't know tonight if you picked up on the language that the Apostle Paul writes with under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in Ephesians chapter 2 as I read the verses. Paul uses words like were. In verse number 2, he uses in time past. Again, in verse number 3, in times past. In verse 11, he said, remember in time past. In verse number 12, he said, at that time. But then, in verse number 13, comes two small words that change the whole course of the entire chapter. And that is the words, but now. And so the Lord began to deal in my heart about before and after. That, that's the whole theme of Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul writes to these believers, these Gentile believers who are in the church in Ephesus, and to remind them about where they were before and now where they are after God saved them. Where they found themselves to be before that the grace of God appeared unto them. Of course we know that Paul is going to write again in the book of Titus that it is the grace of God that bringeth salvation. And that that grace has appeared to all men, not all as in a general statement, as in all in the world, but all that are saved. And that everybody that's ever been born again is born again because there was a day that the grace of God appeared unto them. And it did so by the preaching and the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And so Paul here writes to them about the fact that they should remember where they were before and in remembering where they were before they should rejoice in where they are now by the work of God through Christ by faith 
faith and grace in their life. I, I thought about in these days they are. Uh, we're living in a day where a lot of people uh, sell a lot of things based on before and after. Uh, a lot of people uh, are hooked on diets and they uh, broadcast the before and the after. Uh, there are a lot of doctors that uh, brag about the before and the after. Uh, there are a lot of do-better clinics that uh, brag about their before and their after. Uh, and they'll take a picture of, of somebody either overweight or somebody in some kind of sickness or somebody going down uh, some dark road. And then they'll uh, put another picture on the other side uh, after they have uh, been through their regimen or after they've taken uh, their medication or uh, done their self-help clinic or uh, went down their step process. Uh, and what a contrast uh, there always is in those advertisements of the before and the after. But I'm preaching to you about a God who can do much more than the diets and the doctors and the do-betters. If we could post pictures of the inside of a soul of man before God ever came on the scene and then post another picture of the inside of a man after God saved them and reached way down where they were. David said, I was in the mighty clay. I was in quicksand is what David was saying and I think David didn't mean that he was up to his knees or up to his waist I think David said I was a sucking of the last breath of air and I was fixing to go under for the last time with my head, my hand reached up trying to fight my way out and he said but he reached down where I was and he brought me up also out of the horrible pit out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock no longer did he say I was trying to get one more breath to just live and survive but he said now I'm alive I've got life inside me the Christian is saved and that we're alive in Christ but before we're dead in trespasses and sins what a before and after to go from being dead to being alive it's kind of like that day when the Lord came Mary and Martha had sent for him said, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. And he waited in his plan and in his purpose and his sovereign will. And Lazarus died. And when the Lord got there, he had been in the grave four days. He was bound up in grave clothes. And they said by now he stinketh. They had a stone rolled in front of it. He was in the dark. He was dead. He was lifeless. There was nothing he could do to help himself. He was bound up and there's nothing he could do for himself. But oh, after that day, nothing changed on day one. Nothing changed on day two. Nothing changed on day three. It didn't matter how much Mary cried. It didn't matter how much Martha cried. It didn't matter how heartbroken they were. It didn't matter how many Jews were there. Nothing was changing. But all oh, that day, that the resurrection and the life come walking down the road. And he said, show me where you've laid him. He said, roll the stone away. They said, Lord, you don't understand. He said, I do understand. He said, he's going to live. I'm going to make him live. He said, I know. But Mary said, he'll really live at the last day he said I am the resurrection and I am the life we're not waiting to the last day he said I'll make him live today what a before and after before the Lord come and after the Lord come 
And we don't have no trouble thinking about that. But I'm going to tell you even greater than Lazarus being raised from the dead is the before and after in the work of God in a sinner. Uh, even greater uh, than him being four days past. Uh, even greater than him stinking in a tomb. Even greater than him being bound grand and foot in grave clothes. Uh, even greater than all of that and him coming out and uh, Jesus saying, loose it and let him go. He's a great type of the sinner because that's where we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, we were in the darkness and could not see. Uh, bound up in the prison house and the bars and the chains of sin and it was nothing you and I could do but to get ourselves out but thank God the chain breaker and the way maker and the resurrection and the life uh, called into our graveyard uh, rolled the stone that held us in uh, told, told him to loose us and let us go and he gave us life and it's life evermore I don't know if you picked up and you may not have but we was a singing tonight. Brother Tim didn't know what I was going to preach. And he picked out, I guess the Lord picked it out, put it in his heart. Picked out number 130. That's why I got to say, I'm not going to sing. But I got a songbook open. I don't know if you've ever paid. I had never much paid attention to the lyrics until I knew what the Lord had in my heart to preach tonight. And verse number one says, Long years ago, when out in sin, I had no hope, no peace within, down on my knees in agony. You say, what's the songwriter say? He's talking about back then. He's talking about the before. But then verse number two said, Now I can feel him by my side. His tender hand comes to God. When trials come, he comforts me. You say, what's he saying? He's saying, I was before in agony, in misery, in sin. But down on my knees I cried in agony to God. And he came where I was and got me out of the shape I was in and saved my soul and gave me he said now I can feel him by my side my feeble steps he comes to God I'm glad tonight to know where I was before but I'm even gladder to know where I am now not because of who I am or anything I can do being a preacher ain't got nothing to do with it being a church member ain't got nothing to do with it being a good person ain't got nothing to do with it Paul wrote it here in the chapter by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it's a gift of God that not of words that's any man should boast Paul paints a pretty grim picture of where we were before he talked about our course he said you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world that's a path we're on. The broad way. Wide's the gate. Broad's the way that leadeth to death. And many there be which go in thereat. We're headed down death and destruction's wide road. We're on our way to a place called hell. And there wasn't nothing you and I could do. It wouldn't matter how many church memberships you had to your name. Wouldn't matter how many times they dunk you in the river. It wouldn't matter how many preachers' hands you shook. It wouldn't matter anything that you did. But thanks be unto God, I can read the word tonight and I can read it just like Paul did. That's time past. I don't walk that way anymore. Oh, I'm not perfect. I still struggle with the flesh and so do you. But I'm not like I used to be. 
you. I'm not enslaved to the world. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not on the broad road. I'm not going through the wide gate. I'm not headed to destruction. I'm not walking according to the course of this world. I'm not controlled by the prince of the power of the air. Oh, we have to fight against it. Oh, we struggle against it. Oh, but thank God the chains are gone. They're not just broken. They're gone. I'm glad tonight they're cold. Oh, the writer said, you asked me why I'm happy. I said, I'll just tell you why. Oh, because my sins are gone. I'm glad tonight to know where I was before. Oh, but I thank God tonight I know where I am now because of Him. You say, preacher, I don't know what you're getting so worked up about. I ain't never had no kind of change like that go on in my life. Well, you ain't never had that kind of change. You've never been changed. God don't do little changes. God don't patch things up. Now, I understand. I don't want you to fall out with me. I understand we use language, we use terms sometimes after we get saved. But God don't patch things up. God's not a patcher. God's a fixer. You patch something when you can't fix it. It's a temporary fix. You get a hole in your tire and you plug it and patch it and it's just a temporary fix. But God's not a temporary fixer. Oh, I'm glad for that. Religion, that's a temporary fix. A church membership's a temporary fix. A baptism's a temporary fix. That's just a patch that a lot of people are putting. They're sewing new clothes on an old garment and it ain't working. It makes the wind worse and that's exactly what it does. A religion makes a man worse. A baptism makes a man worse. And he's never really been saved. But God's not in the patching up business. God's in the making all things new business. I remember one time I was preaching and I Got something in my tire. I don't know what it was, but it's bad. And I went somewhere and I said, I asked somebody, I said, Reagan, we can patch that. He said, Well, I guess you could if you have to. But he said, I don't think you ought to patch it. I said, Well, I was just honest. I said, I can't afford to replace it. He said, That's okay. Don't worry about patching it. He said, I'll buy it and make it brand new. And that's what the Lord does. Mankind's too busy worrying about trying to patch it. And God's standing there saying, don't patch it. I'm making all new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. That's the before and after. We, we had our course. According to the course of this world. We walked that way. There was no future. It was transgressing the law of God. It was headed for destruction. We were living in disobedience. But we had our conversation. He said in verse number 3, among whom we all had our conversation. All of us that have ever been born into the world and had the nature of Adam, we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh. And see your conversation. We read that word and that's one of them words like what we talked about in Sunday school. The English language has changed it. it conversations, and when you read the word conversation, the Word of God, it don't have nothing to do with just your words. It's your deeds and your actions. That's part of your conversation. Paul's not saying we just talk like the world. He's saying we walk like them, we talk like them, we went like them, we dressed like them, we attended like them, because we were them. That's what we, what we were. That was the past. 
He said, we did it in the lust of our flesh. The outward man guided us. The outward man dominated us. The outward man enslaved us. But thank God, I don't know who it was that said it. Maybe Brother Hanley Miller. Maybe Brother Larry Neal. Maybe his the one. Said we got a circumcision not made with hands. God took the inner man and cut him loose from the outer man. Thank God, the outer man now has no dominion over us. Oh, he'll raise his head. He'll try to snare us and trap us and sneak us if he can but thank God he's not in control anymore if you're saved there's a new man living inside you with a new nature he's a perfect man he never sins you say I sin yeah your flesh does but what's inside you never sins that's according to 1 John that that's born of God sineth not If what God did in you, if, if God's Spirit put in you could sin, then God would be fallible. And God's not fallible. God don't make no mistakes. God never has sinned. And God never will sin. That doesn't make us perfect. We still have to deal with the flesh. That's why Paul cried. It was not the flesh of Paul that cried, Oh wretched man that I am. It was the inner man of Paul just using the lips of flesh to cry, Oh wretched man that I am. Because we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Whatever you loved, whatever your flesh loved, that's what you did. It pleased the flesh. It, the, what the flesh wanted to do. And you can't expect, I, we go around in these days and we're hard on folks and we expect anything. We can't expect anything more from a sinner. A sinner is a sinner and a sinner sins. A dead man's dead and he can't do any better. And that's why Paul said in verse number 4, but God. He didn't say but the church. He didn't say but the preacher. He didn't even say but you. He said but God. God's the one that made the before and the after. In verse number, now Paul's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles. And he's going to remind them of what their citizenship was before that God moved in. He said, Wherefore remember, in verse number 11, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So what he's saying, he's going to use this type, this contrast in the next verses when he talks about making both one. That's Jew and Gentile. He's broke down the middle wall partition between Jew and Gentile. He calls the Jews those that were nigh and the Gentiles those that were far off. But thank God we were in time past Gentiles in the flesh. The uncircumcision called by the circumcision. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. In other words, what Paul is saying, if you want to apply it strictly, biblically, in the, from the New Testament to language in the Old, is that none of the covenants of God with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament had anything to do with us. We were aliens. We were dogs. We were lower than low. And he said he gets worse. I mean, it's pretty bad already. 
We're Gentiles in the flesh. We're uncircumcision. We're without Christ. We're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We're strangers from the covenants of promise. And then he said, having no hope, so long as we put confidence in the flesh, we have no hope. And we are without God in the world. That means we don't have fellowship, communion, access, relationship. Paul's not saying that God had no influence or no dominion. He has dominion over everything. The writer said in the book of Psalms, God is good to all. That's the saved and the unsaved alike. The sinner doesn't even recognize that God is good to them. The worst thing about hell will be the absence, the total absence of the presence of God. The sinners don't even realize how blessed they are and they still have the presence of God in their life. But as far as our flesh was concerned and our birthright was concerned and our past was concerned, we had no hope and we were without God in the world. See, God established Old Testament principles to foreshadow a better promise in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, it was all about a birthright. The only way that you can be a partaker of the things of God is to be born into the family of God. And that was the Jewish people. I'm going to tell you, it's no different in the New Testament. The only way you can partake of the things of God is you must be born again and birthed into the family of God. And so Paul says, before, before your course, before your conversation, before your citizenship, but thank God for these two little three-letter words in verse number 13, but now. I thought about the words of that song. Oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. If we could go find Bartimaeus and ask him about a difference, he'd tell you the difference came when he passed by. If we could find the woman with the issue of blood and say what made the difference, she'd say it's when he passed by. If we could find the man at the pool of Bethesda and say what made the difference, he'd say it's when he passed by. If we could find Paul and say what made the difference in your life, he'd take us down the Damascus Road again when the Lord passed by. But thank God tonight I don't got to find Bartimaeus. I don't have to find the woman at the well or the woman with the issue of blood or the man at the pool or even Paul but I can take you back down the road at memory lane to us Tuesday night on purple carpet on the left hand of the pew down in the altar in front of the organ at Indian Creek Baptist Church where he passed by and made a difference in my life and now Paul says but now we can't stop at them two words. Them's good words. But the next three's what make all the difference. He says, but now in Christ Jesus. It's all Him. Paul's going to make sure these Ephesian believers understand that it has nothing to do with them and everything to do with Christ. He said it's not in your membership. It's not in you. It's not in your preachers. It's not in your way. It's not in your denomination. It's not, it's not in anything to do with man. It's in Christ Jesus. But now, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He said you used to be 
way away from God. He said, but now there's a closeness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He does not, thank God, look at us tonight as we are. I'm so glad. Not as far as you and I see. But then on the other hand, He does look at us as we are. On the inside, we're saved by the grace of God. The blood has been applied. Oh, I'm glad the blood. They sung Monday night where I preached that, that the blood covers it all. I'm glad it does. I sat there on the front pew and it wasn't what I was preaching on, but it come over me and I had to say it while I was preaching. I got to thinking about the Ark of the Covenant and we get to talking about thank God for the mercy seat, thank God for the blood that was on it, but we better stop and go back and remember just like Paul's telling them about their past, what was inside the Ark. There was the broken tables of the it was Aaron's budded rod and it was a pot of manna and every time God looked down on it it didn't matter what them things remind the children of Israel of when God looked down all he saw was the wickedness and the rebellion and the griping and the murmuring of his people the two tables of stone that were broken in Moses' anger because the children of Israel were worshipping the golden calf reminded God of the rebellion of his people the, the budded rod of Aaron's reminded God that God had a plan. But the people of God thought they knew better than God. And they rose up against God and against God's man and wanted somebody other than Aaron to fulfill the priesthood office. And God told them what to do. How to get a stick, cut it down. And whoever stick has blooms on it, he's the one Aaron's rod. But not only bloomed and blossomed, but it brought forth almonds. And God made it for a fact with no debate, no question that Aaron's seed had been chosen to fulfill the priesthood of the office of God. But it doesn't matter what it reminded the children of Israel of. It reminded God of their rebellion. And the pot of manna reminded God of that day when they said, Our soul loatheth this light bread. Can't we have something else to eat? We're tired of angels' food. We're tired of God's provision. And all God saw was iniquity and sin and rebellion. But thank God for that one day when the high priest went in, not without blood, and he had it in a basin, and he put it on the mercy seat. And therefore God had to see the blood before he saw everything else. And his eyes stopped, his focus stopped at the blood. And I'm glad tonight that's the way it is with you and I. I'm flesh and I'm fallible and I mess up and I make mistakes and there's chastisement for that because I belong to him but thank God when he looks at me he sees me through the blood we used to be far off now we're nigh by the blood of Christ then he said verse 14 for he is our peace he didn't only make us close he gave us comfort he didn't say come here shaking and trembling and afraid of who I am. That's how it was in the Old Testament. The call of God in the Old Testament was stay back. Don't come near because I'm holy. But the cry of the New Testament is let us now therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Come near, draw nigh to me, God said. And I'll in turn draw nigh to you. And there's not a, I'm, there is a respect. There is a reverence. But we don't come to God afraid of what He might do to us. We come with peace because He is our peace. And we've been justified and sanctified and set apart by the blood of Christ. 
We're no longer what we were. He's our peace. Then he's going to, in verse 11 and 12, and I'm not trying to change the Word of God, but you could read verse 11 and 12 and then read verse 19. He said, remember in verse number 11, in time past were Gentiles, uncircumcision. Verse 12, were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Verse 19, now... Therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. All that stuff he covered in 11 and 12, we're not that anymore. None of that. We're not uncircumcision. We're not aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We're not strangers to the promises of God. We're not without hope. We're not without God in the world. He said, now you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Our citizenship has changed. Before we were a citizen of the world and of the Gentile race, and so therefore we had no hope. But now we're a citizen of the royal family. That's right. The writer said, Old Paul Williams sings it. I don't know who wrote it. He said, I went down a beggar, but I come up a millionaire. And that's right. That's what we did. We went down a stranger and come up a son. We went down a traitor and come up forgiven. We went down cursed, damned, doomed, and come up forgiven, sealed, sanctified, saved, and headed for heaven. What a change. What a before and after that God does in our heart. And then he said, and I'm done, and are built, he's talking about us. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom? All the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The temple ceased to be. The Old Testament temple was a type and a picture. Solomon built God a house. God allowed Solomon to build him a house. And he told Solomon that he would honor the prayers and meet with His people there. And that's where God dwelt. But that temple in all its beauty and all its majesty was just a type and a shadow of a more perfect temple that was to come in the New Testament. And that temple is me and you. God doesn't dwell in a house made with hands. He dwells in us. We're the temple of God. We're the habitation of God. That's what he said. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. That's the church. In whom ye also are builded together. God put us all in the church. That's the habitation of God through the Spirit. And so we're, we're under, for lack of a better word, what the Lord put on my heart, we're under construction putting us, building us into His habitation. The foundation's already been laid. That's Christ. No other man can lay anymore. It standeth sure. And thank God He's not done with us yet. John said, we read it, I think, maybe Sunday morning, Sunday school, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when we see Him, we shall be like Him. 
I'm glad for God's before and after. There's a whole lot of people and programs and places that have boasted a lot of changes. And I'm not saying that some of them haven't made great changes. But there's nobody has any before and after results like God. To take dead, wicked, vile, depraved, hell-deserving sinners and change them through the work of Christ and the blood of Christ and make us sons and fit for the kingdom of God. What a before and after. And I think it'd do us good. And I'm not talking about God does not desire us to live in the past, to draw up our past, to drum up things of the past, but He does want us to remember where we came from that we might greatly rejoice in where we are now. Paul was not writing or preaching to these Ephesian believers to make them feel bad about where they used to be. He said, just remember that. And every time you remember it, it ought to make you rejoice even greater about where you are now in Christ Jesus. I'm glad tonight I'm, I'm not much. I know that as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not what I ought to be. And all of us would have to make that statement. There's not a person in this building that is what you ought to be. But thank God there ain't a one of us here tonight that's saved that is what we used to be. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for God's before and after. Father, I thank You, Lord, tonight for this privilege, time together to be in the house of God. Lord, I 